Hi, I'm Rachel Nannan Brown. Hello, I'm Dr. Richard Carrier. I'm Peter Bogosian. Hi, I'm Damian Gillis. Hi, this is Wanda Morris. I'm Dr. Daryl Ray. Hi, I'm RN Raw, and I took a left at the valley. And the party was really good. I woke up this morning, had a burning deep inside. It's like when you're feeling, it's all a big lie. I feel the pain There's hunger and despair Stop the rhetoric of your teaching Time for us to share And we are back. Welcome back to another episode of Lefted Valley. Hi guys, how you doing? Good, how are you doing? That's the main thing. You're the... You're the head of the show. You've got to be doing fantastic, right? Hey, when you say head of the show, that doesn't mean there's any intelligence <laughs> behind any of it. Uh, including, uh, for the first time, we got Sharon with us. Hi, Sharon. Hey, Kevin. Hey, now. Welcome, welcome. We've been waiting for so long to have you here. Yeah, welcome. It's great to have you as a guest. Thank you for asking me. Oh, God. we got lots of things going on today, and we'll get right into it. Uh, later on, we're actually going to have a uh, quick interview with Wanda Morris. Remember the Wanda Morris, the CEO of Dying with Dignity? Oh, yeah. She's got more things she wants to talk about, and we finally uh, managed to get through that interview with Matt Dillahundy that we did at uh, Imagine No Religion 5. We're going to play that as well. But before all that, you know when they say no good deed goes undone, I have to say I had a crappy weekend. Oh. I hope your weekend was better than mine. Oh. I was actually robbed. <gasps> I know. Gasps oh my from the crowd. Yes, gasps from the <laughs> Oh. No, it's true. Uh, somebody managed to come in. Um, the patio door was actually left open uh, by God knows how, or the front door unlocked. So when I came back from doing some groceries after doing a spending at the in Vancouver yesterday, I realized that the, the uh, thief had taken all the contents of my little secret safe yeah. and uh, my iPad for work and my father's ring, too. Oh, Kevin. Yeah. Really sucks. I es- yeah, I the, estimate the irreplaceable the, things that I that know. hurts the most. Yeah, I, I had like several ounces of silver, a couple of grams of gold, and some little precious gems that I was kind of keeping as a passing it down to my daughter. And I had a eleven hundred dollars cash and my iPad. So I total of it, I think I've lost about three thousand dollars. Oh, it's and that, a, that it's, just happened yesterday. So that really sucked. So any oh. would be robbers listening, Kevin's out of stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Please bring them back and put them by the front door, and we won't tell anybody. Oh, your your heart must have just dropped to the so floor. Sorry, you know what? It's, on, it's only it's only money. It doesn't matter. Uh, and you know, uh, I think it's a desperate soul, obviously, because there were some things in, in the place that you know, like I've got weapons on the walls and stuff like that. That you know, they could have taken too, but they just took something they could easily hide in their pockets, including the, this equipment. I mean, for, you know, the the microphones, the uh, the laptop, and all that. It's, Didn't they? They no, didn't attack anything. They just—it's all—it was like a precise thing. They so, didn't know they could just ask you for the stuff, and you would have given it to them. Yeah. Well, may not have given them, but Some you know, I might have. Yeah, absolutely. So I could be quite generous. So, silly question: You did report it to the police? Yes. Okay, and so there's a possibility that a pawn shop will. Have the items because it's obviously they wanted to sell. Yeah, well, the, the cash is gone. I've got this habit of taking a hundred dollars yeah. every paycheck and putting it aside for you know, oh. you know. So I had eleven $1, hundred dollars that you know you oh. want to put towards a vacation or an investment or whatever. So that's gone. You know, a whole bunch of hundred dollar bills that's gone for sure. Uh, what irks me though is my like I said my my uh, my father who passed away last year his ring oh. that he passed me that I was supposed to pass on to my daughter that that really irked me. Oh, the yeah. rest is material, but you know what it's. I feel bad for the person who did that because it's obviously a uh, a desperate person. Yeah. Um, but you know, uh, what can you just, what I can you do, right? You gotta roll with the punches, right? Well, I don't know. It must have been somebody who was deliberately looking for some place that was open, saw the opportunity. I, I just I just don't know how in, this person so managed to get in. That's I, that's what I'm I'm concerned about. But the police yeah. will be here tomorrow. They were here to take a report today. They will be here tomorrow to dust fingerprints. Actually. I actually didn't think they would actually do that, but yeah, they're going to come in and dust for fingerprints. A neighbor of ours was broken into day before yesterday. Um, she stepped out for a couple hours, and her wallet, and just whatever they could grab fast. Mm. 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 
Oh, yeah. Yeah. Man, oh man, oh man, I'm so sorry. That's okay, that's okay. We, you know, the show must go on, and you just got to do that. <laughs> yeah. But I also want to address something really quick, because I've been asked to do that, and I want to ask you guys' opinion before we go into this day in history with you, of course, Nancy, that wonderful segment you do so well. Um, some people have been asking me to say a few words about the whole Kim Davis thing. Uh, now, for those of you who might not know, Kim Davis is that clerk in Kentucky that uh, decided to refuse to give out permits for uh, gay couples to get married. Uh, she was found in contempt of court of the Supreme Court. She was tossed into jail, and then uh, she was ordered to be released from jail, and then some conservative politician, most notably Mike Huckabee, is hugging her like she's some kind of martyr and hero. Um, some people are asking me, you know, well, where's the limit between um, freedom of religion and uh, was she right to do that? You know, where do you uphold your values? And I'm not going to say, I'm not, I, don't want, I, I do want your opinion on that, but I'm, I'm just going to say, I think this woman simply, if she, could, if she feels that strongly about not being able to do that because of her religious conviction, she should just resign and get another job. Even if it is uh, in an elected position, which I believe it is. Because you could simply, if you, if you don't understand that, you can simply make the comparison. Now, you have a Christian clerk refusing to give a license to a person who wants to, a gay person who wants to get married. Well, just replace those few words, okay? What if you had a Muslim clerk who refused to give a license to a pork vendor? You know, what, what kind of, a, what kind of a uprising would we have there? Or a, uh, a Jane clerk who refused to give a gun license, you know, because it's against their religion to, to promote violence. Um, this is, this is what we're trying to do so hard here at this show or many of the other secular or atheist podcasts is to tell people that we live in a secular country, you have every right to be religious and go right ahead, you go and pray to Jesus at your place all you want. It's when you get out and you take Jesus in the voting booth or Allah or whatever, this is where we have the problem. And if it wasn't for people doing like that, a show like this would simply not be needed and wouldn't exist. Mm-hmm. Any thoughts? Well, I... I Go ahead. Oh, oh. <laughs> um, I totally agree. I mean, she broke the law. Or she defied a court order. It has nothing to do with her religion. She can believe all she wants, but refusing to follow the law like the rest of us. It's not Christian persecution. It's She's asking for Christian privilege. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Not going to happen, I hope. Uh, no, I, I hope so, too, and I hope they come down hard on her. Uh, unfortunately, you know, um, the a lot of people come back with saying, Obeying the law, what if the law is unjust? In this case, it's not. But, you know, they will say, you know, it's, it is your duty to disobey an unjust law. And some people, I'll be the first one to stand up with protesters when something like that happens. But in this case, it is really simply an interpretation that she's doing on her Christian colored glasses, I guess, where she sees the world through. I think yeah, I, I, Exactly. I yeah. think she has determined... Uh, what she's going to believe in and what she doesn't want to believe in, and then she's going to use her religion to back up whichever choice you know she she has at the time. I I see her as a, as a person who's easily manipulated, and I think one of the bad things about it is that all the the various right wing churches and institutions are using her to further their own cause and i don't know how how much she has the ability to be able to actually see what the problem is and how she's contributing to it and making it worse mm. because she's got Mike Huckabee that's treating her like a rock star. I think it has and, a lot to do with the Liberty Council. And the Liberty Council. Yeah. Everybody is saying, stick to your principles, stick to your principles. And then, yeah, and, and you have a whole group of um, evangelicals who really and truly want to tear down our present form of democratic government it and replace it by a theocracy and this is to them only oh my gosh see how bad that our democracy really is they really need us to destroy it and build you know on the principles of jesus as we interpret his mm-hmm. words so now, it's a i don't think she's going to step aside the question is is she going to interfere with the other with the other clerks. Mm-hmm. And I so. think that might be just what they need because the, the other clerks under her charge, um, if one of them defies her order and gets fired and the whole thing goes from there, is she persecuting another Christian? That's, like, a, that's an excellent question. Yeah, there's a whole bunch of stuff going on there. But 
I think it's the conservative right pushing an agenda and using her as oh absolutely yeah, yeah. I can't see that if they do if they defy Kim Davis that they're going to be fired because they're obeying the Supreme Court ruling that, that says stop anybody who it. comes in and wants a marriage license you give them the marriage license you don't have to condone it you don't have to go to the wedding but as you we all know Kim Davis doesn't follow the rules well we'll see what happens mm-hmm. see you know yeah. how 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 far she wants to take this. I mean, this is for 15 minutes of fame, and uh, it's interesting to see how it's all going to... I don't think it's going to end well for her. No, it was... Yeah, I don't think so, too. And I think it was... I saw the video where she's... She has that press conference in front mm-hmm. of the, the courthouse and Mike Huckabee on the side there, and it's nauseating. And this woman is raising her hands <laughs> up like she's some kind of, oh, free at last. I'm so happy to be free. I'm a martyr. And I was like, oh, just gag reflex. Jesus right knows away. where we all are. Oh, I no. mean, you, you, have, you go back to school desegregation where you had uh, Faubus and other um, officials and governors in the South standing in the schoolhouse saying, it's never going to happen here. Praise God. Praise Jesus. Praise the South. And they were removed, and uh, the schools integrated, and they had their 15 minutes of fame, and the, the democracy won. And I think it's going to be that democracy won Kim Davis zero at this point. But she doesn't recognize that she's a zero. So, And then we'll see what Mike Huckabee does with it, too. It must be interesting for these people to realize 20 years on the road, if they do realize, you know, that you're on the wrong side of history. Um, I, I, I mean, we can see it coming for sure, right? I mean, so mm-hmm. it's a bit like people that were anti-interracial marriage back in the '60s. You know, I wonder if these people looking at themselves today say, "Geez, man, what was I thinking?" You know, it kind of makes you wonder if Kim Davis will ever go in her golden years and much later on say, "Geez, what was I thinking?" One would hope, but I don't see it. No, no, no. No, no interestingly enough, you one um, church that is you'd think would be behind her 100% Westboro Baptist Church. <laughs> Where the, the, the secularists anti- and Westboro Baptist Church are on the same side. Who knew that would ever happen? <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> then you talk about strange bedfellows. <laughs> I, guess we'll I did not know that. I'm going to have to go shower. <laughs> I guess we might as well move on with this day in history. I guess so. All righty. Okay, here we go. And as we know, by this time, this day in history is a roundup of those events and individuals that altered and illuminated the days between August 31st to September 13th. So going back to August the 31st, it was Independence Day in Trinidad, Tobago, um, and Malaysia, among some other countries. On August the 31st, In 1902, an absolutely forgettable incident happened, if you want to think about it in terms of overall historic events. But it was an interesting event, and it it is the background for another event that we're going to get to on September the 8th. And the event was that a lady who um, was Mrs. Adolph Landenberg, her name actually was Emily Stevens Landenberg, created a sensation in the upper crust world of Victorian American high society in Saratoga Springs, New York, because she appeared in public riding her horse, not side saddle as women were expected to do Uh with the flowing side saddle skirt. She came with a split skirt and mounted a astride. This was... Criminal. Yeah. And (laughs) it it was like a domino. Women had done it before, but because she was a society woman and other things were percolating in the background, this really started things moving in the direction of uh, women realizing that they could free themselves from the bonds of being held back and being... um, Cloistered, and so it, it was a marker. But you, you're not going to read about it in most of the history books. But it's it's important in in itself. Alone. So that, we'll, we'll get to that. And that gentleman is why women have an affinity with horses up to this day. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to ask. Did it mention anything about commando? Um, <laughs> no. I mean this this really wasn't a um, like a lady. Um, 
what's her what's her name? Uh, Godiva. Yeah, this wasn't a lady Godiva, no, okay. but one of the reasons that men wanted women to remain side saddle is because of their virginity. Well, sure. Yeah, and so this broke, you know, that uh, tradition as well. So she was a very brave, very brave girl, and we we ought to be proud of her. But we're never going to see her name in history. But. Hang on to September the 8th, and and we'll go a little bit further with that. September the 1st is Teacher's Day, Knowledge Day, and Random Acts of Kindness Day. Ooh, I love that. Yeah, and it's also a a marker for the um, summer turning into into fall and cooler days. So September 1st is always a a good marker, change of the seasons. Um, September the 1st, 1991, Madeline Murray O'Hare's book, Why I'm an Atheist, came out in paperback. Yay, Madeline. Yay, Madeline. One of these days, you know, we should take... Oh, we should totally do a spotlight on her one day. Exactly. And there are some audio samples available so we can get an idea of how strident she, mm. You can hear it. Oh, <laughs> One serious lady. Yeah. She was. She, she was, was tough. She, she was, was tough. She was a. T- she was a hero to a lot of us at that time, for sure. Uh, September the second is Democracy Day in Tibet, and in 1912 um, there was a U.S. rodeo showman named Guy Wedick, and he opened the first Calgary Stampede Rodeo. Anybody have you guys ever been to? One? I've never been to it. I haven't either. Neither. No. Uh, interesting. I've seen. You know, videos, but I, I'm, I'm, you know, I don't really like rodeos for the whole hurting the animal yeah. culture. Yeah, thank it, you so. for saying that. That's yeah. where I was. Yeah. Okay, then we come to September the third. September the third in 1752 never happened. There was no September the third through September the thirteenth. In Canada and in North America, this is not science fiction. You're gonna to have to explain that. I'm, is that I like think, the thirteenth floor, Miss? Almost no, but actually, this is it's a scientific fact. But have you ever read in any history book that there were eleven days missing in the year 1752? No, was, I, I, utterly fascinating. But this is how it happened. Up until. Um, uh, that time, up until the, September the 2nd, and when people went to bed on September the 2nd, they woke up on September the 14th. The Julian calendar, which was started by Julius Caesar, oh. was in effect. Well, way back in 15, um, let me see, when, but 1582, Pope Gregory decided, well, he didn't decide, but actually in a very scientific way, the Julian calendar did not always come out even in terms of the, the uh, uh, lunar ca- the lunar calendars and the, the solstice and so forth. There was a little variation. So Pope Gregory decreed in 1582 that there would be a new calendar that would take in effect uh, a less number of leap years and also um, make the the day the year still 365 days a year, but less minutes connected to it. Because what happened is that the minutes collected, and then you had these extra extra days. So he decreed it in 1582. And surrounding countries, because he was in Italy, surrounding countries such as um, Austria and uh, Germany and, and Poland, Portugal and Spain, they converted. But it took until 1752 for the word and the, the desire to switch finally came to North America. Wow, could you imagine if we have had like international trade or something like that back then? How screwed up is that? We did. Exactly. There was international trade. Well, yeah, but I mean, as fast as today. So you oh, order yeah. something you order something for September 10th and say, oh, sorry, it just doesn't happen. The global economy has been since, what, 1500s or whatever. It's That's right. Year. So they, they had to reconcile all the different dates, all the different calendars and so forth. This, that's not, it, if that isn't fascinating enough, guess what year was the last year of conversion from the Julian calendar to the Gregorian calendar. Oh. Is there a prize? <laughs> Admiration from us. Oh. No, actually, it's 1926 and uh, 27. Turkey was the last country to convert. Wow. Oh, really? 
Not a clue. No, so they were operating at a total. So if you were supposed to be someplace on September the 13th at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, I don't know. I, they, I, everyone else was asleep. <laughs> oh, jeez. Yeah. Really That's interesting. It was. Now you have something for a trivia game. Totally. Totally. Absolutely. Where's my bell? <laughs> well, September the 4th, when finally everyone was, uh, was awake and there was a September the 4th, uh, was Newspaper Carrier Day. And in 1888, George Eastman registered Kodak and patents for the camera that uses roll film. And everybody wondered where the word Kodak came from, and it was totally made up. George and his mom decided they loved the letter K. It was a good, strong letter, so they... It is a good, strong yeah, letter. Yeah, so they, um, they, they made up the word Kodak. Um, and a hundred years later, 1998, Google was founded. So that was a September the fourth was a was a good day for interesting things. September the eighth is Grandparents Day, uh, National Physical Therapy Day. You think there's a coincidence there between grandparents and National Physical <laughs> Therapy Day? <laughs> anyway, here we go. This is September the eighth, and we're going to refer back to Emily. But on September the 8th in 1916, there were two sisters, Adelina and August Van Buren, and they were related to, uh, to the president. Um, they finished the first successful transcontinental motorcycle tour to be attempted by two women. They were very politically charged. They wanted women's votes. They were uh, very progressive, and they wanted to participate in World War I, and they thought that if they could do a transcontinental trip that they could then serve in World War One, which would remove an objection for one of the reasons that women can't vote, because they don't part- didn't participate in military service. So they started off in New York on July 5th, and they just went through hell with the two motorcycles cross-country. They were the first women going up to Pikes Peak. The roads were bad. The weather was bad. They were almost arrested because they uh, were wearing men's clothing. Uh, They got a lot of derision. Um, But because of women like Emily Landensburg, they knew that they they could do this. They they could... Emily started the, the progression and they knew if they did it they too would be on the right side of history so it was great they reached um, Los Angeles on September the 8th and they actually went over the border to Tijuana just so they could make it intercontinental and um, unfortunately the powers that be said nah girls you were just taking a little vacation but thanks a lot <laughs> but they uh, the girls um, one of the girls became an attorney, and uh, the other one became a pilot. And actually, um, um, in World War One, um, uh, worked with. Um, oh, and, um, my names are escaping me. What, what's her name that, that disappeared? Uh, Amelia Earhart. Right. She worked with uh, with um, Amelia Earhart. Yes. Yeah. So they were very aus- very auspicious event, and, and they were powerful girls, and and we thank them. Today, no they, we, we, we honor them. We certainly do. September the 13th is International Chocolate Day. So today we all should be going out enjoying a chocolate. Well, I plan on doing so. There you go. Can I trade up for chips? You can. <laughs> you, have, you have my permission because it's my bit. So. How, about, how about chocolate chip cookies? Um, and on this day in 1971, um, are either one of you hockey fans? Well, it used to be anyway. Well, well the Canadians, we're still natural hockey fans. Well, before the NHL, there was the World Hockey Association, and that was founded in, in 1971, and they um, included teams that uh, were from cities that didn't have the NHL. So they had teams that were named Miami Screaming Eagles, the Los Angeles Aces, the Chicago Cougars, and the New York Raiders. Uh, Unfortunately, by the end of the final season, which was in 1979, only six teams remained. They had a lot of financial problems, so the WHA came to an agreement with the NHL in early 1979. Mm. So a, a lot of players ended up working for the NHL. Yes. And that's the 13th, and that's the end of history in this segment, and that, dear readers, brings to a close another passing parade of interesting, mundane, unusual, 
and occasionally bizarre events and people that make up this day in history. Awesome. Nice. Thank you so much. And we'll be right back right after this. Did you ever wonder if there's more to life than what is in the holy books? Do you think you can be good without God? Would you rather think skeptically than rely on blind faith? You are not alone. You are not alone. You are not alone. Dude, you're not alone. You're not alone. You are not alone. You are not alone. Join us at the Fraser Valley Atheists, Skeptics and Humanists. Be amongst friends. Find us at fvash.com. This is a good song. You actually sing to the song, you know. You're almost like bobbing your head. So it's good. It's a good song. You're not not too uncomfortable. The opening one is like the best walking song ever. <laughs> the opening one. The opening one. You can walk. It's just perfect for my. Oh, you mean the, the the theme song? The theme song. Oh, Thank okay, you. okay. <laughs> I'm sure uh, Vern and uh, Robin would be quite pleased to hear that. Um, we'll be talking to. Uh, I gotta give uh, Wanda a call here in a minute, but in the, in the meantime, I want to do a quick another brilliant moment brought to you by religion. Did you guys hear the story about this? Uh, another one. I hate to say that because it seems to pop up all the time. This is a seventy-three-year-old um, pastor slash prophet, and uh, he's from the Zimuto communal area, which is apparently in Zimbabwe. Now, this guy had the brilliant idea to go into the uh, mountain area and fast for 40 days like Jesus did. Okay. Three guesses as to what happened. I I don't think it's a good thing. (laughs) He's 73, goes into the wilderness in a mountain area to fast for 40 days. Gee, where's my bell? What do you think happened? Out of the blue. I'm, I'm not going to speculate. Yes, he died. Oh, Think about that. No. Um, but he died for his faith, right? Yeah, another one. <laughs> he died after fasting for 30 days. Uh, well, they found his body 30 days after he left. Oh. So they're not exactly sure when. 70 days in, okay. Uh, <laughs> no, no, 30 days after he left. Oh, pardon So me. he didn't manage to actually do his four days of fasting. Um his body was found three days after he left home for his religious pilgrimage, if you could say that. At this point, there is no way to know exactly when he passed away. Uh, when do you guys think we're ever going to see the end of this? I mean, a couple of months ago, we did a story about a guy who decided to walk on water like Jesus and drown. Another pastor that, you know, do that kind of stuff, jumps in the lion's cage and says, No, I rebuke the lions and gets eaten. You know, we see that all the time. You think people would get a clue after a while. They don't. I have a relative who told me, we were talking about whether he believed things of scientific, that had that had the proof that it's scientific background and had factual evidence behind it. And I said, if, if you were faced with something that had the, the, the facts, what, what would you choose, the facts or your belief? He said, my belief. I don't see it ending in our life. Because then. he feels facts can be manipulated, but his faith is eternal. And I think these people are the same way. The faith, it's like, um, you know, Kim Davis, where God's authority is over, you know, uh, government authority, it's the same thing. The faith trumps reality. Uh, I just think that if these people were a bit more skeptical about being in an afterlife, they might be not be in such a rush to toss their life away, or somebody else's life away, in an even, you know. I think it's a tossing, it, it goes back to that other story of the uh, the father whose daughter was drowning, and yes. he wouldn't let the the rescue team, because they, she, his, he didn't want his daughter to be shamed for life because she was touched by a stranger. Yeah. And she was an adult. She was an adult daughter. Yeah. Which yeah. makes it even worse because you think the the bond, and the, I don't know. Uh, yeah, and you think thing. Uh, you think somebody would ask her that question? <laughs> yeah, it, yeah. It boggles the mind, like, like even women following, it's the most oppressive mm. ideology in Anywhere. Very few religions have been women friendly, and I, I, I find it. Uh, at first, I did find it mind boggling that so many women are 
ardent defenders of religion. But then you understand it when you also understand that there's an unwritten rule in our society uh, that women have become the guardians of tradition. So when the tradition is so strong that it's a religious tradition that's actually in the family, women inadvertently defend it too. And uh, they just don't realize it. You know, they don't realize what they're defending. But anyway, that's a story for another time. The benefits <laughs> of indoctrination, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, with absolutely. the residual. Okay, so I think we should try to call Wanda Morris here and see what happens because we're supposed to be talking to her. So I'm just going to... Okay, well, it seems that we're having a hard time reaching for uh, uh, Wanda, but she wanted to talk about... Uh, Last time we spoke to Wanda, they were just about the Supreme Court was just about to uh, strike down laws against that were uh, that were written against uh, assisted uh, death, physician assisted death, and soon after the interview, the conservatives uh, through the uh, the uh, Canada Revenue Agency pulled their funding. Well, pulled their funding. No, that's not true. They pulled their charity status, right? Uh, so I've been kind of itching to talk to Wanda about uh, an update on that, and apparently now there is. Just because the Supreme Court agreed and struck down those laws and it's kind of legal in Quebec now, it doesn't mean that the fight is over. And she wants to talk about this and hopefully we'll get her later. But for now, I will play, I guess, that interview with Matt Dillahunty. You guys okay with that? No? Yes? What? I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I didn't, wasn't aware I bored you that much. No, you totally woke us up. No, no. (laughs) I was waiting for you to go ahead and do Matt Dillard, and The last thing was that you were going to say uh, okay. something where I needed to respond. I'm just going to sh- I'm just going to shut up now and do Matt Dillard. This month has a 13 in it, and I get threw me off. <laughs> okay, I'm here with Matt Dillard. Matt, welcome to Canada. Thanks, um, Matt. Ninety-five percent of all our audience knows who you are, but for the five percent who might not, give us your short your short story of. Who you are. Did you actually pull them or did you just grab those numbers at random? Ouija <laughs> board and, you know, crystal ball. Yeah, so my name is Matt Dillahunty. I, uh, for about a little over 10 years, have hosted the Atheist Experience TV show out of Austin, Texas. Um, I also spent a lot of time doing lectures and debates. I'm on the Secular Student Alliance, the Speakers Bureau, and debates have kind of taken over my life over the last few years, which has been great. I, I spend uh, a lot of time now producing video content to teach people how to have more productive conversations in the realm of religion and philosophy. So mm-hmm. that's it. Uh, well, you've probably become probably one of the best debaters since Hitchens. And uh, what drives you to be such a great master debater? <laughs> yeah, master, master debater. Uh, I don't even know that that's true, but I'll take the compliment. The, the big thing is I actually am arrogant enough that I want to change the world and think that I might be able to contribute something in some way. I, you know, I was a fundamentalist Christian for more than 25 years. I was going to be a preacher. And when I found my way out, um, it wasn't that I had, you know, some epiphany and felt an urge to share with everybody. It was more of a recognition of now I'm actually a humanist. I care about what kind of world I live in and what kind of world I leave behind. And I want to have the conversations with people. So it's not so much that I've got a foregone conclusion that they're all wrong. So far, they have been unconvincing. But you know, when I want to have the conversations about, you know, why do you believe this? You know, I know kind of why I believed, but my reason may be very different from somebody else's. If it turns out the whole God thing was true and that a believer had really good reasons for it, uh, I'd want to know that. You know, I mean, it would be worth knowing. And if it's not, and if it turns out that, like me, they also had bad reasons, I'd like to explain why I don't believe, maybe encourage them to evaluate why they believe and reconsider. And so far, between the TV show and the debates, um, it's worked really well. I've got thousands of emails from people who have either left religion or now identify as atheist or now identify as skeptic or we can pick a label. Uh, but And it's not, you know, it's not just me doing it. There's a whole bunch of people involved with our show. There's a bunch of other YouTube uh, activists. There are a lot of people doing debates. And I do it because it works. I mean, I, I had a 13-year-old girl come up to me after one debate, and you know, her parents had exposed her to as much religious ideas as, as she wanted. And she said, you know, after this debate, I identify as an atheist. And even if that was the only affirmation I'd ever gotten, it would have been worth it to do all those debates just to kind of help one person. But mm-hmm. it's, it's not the only. I mean, people are changing. I changed my mind. 
when I go out and speak to groups, uh, you know, I'll frequently ask, you know, how many people used to be religious? Yeah. You know, my friend Keith Lowell Jensen, who's a brilliant comedian, does that in some of his acts. And he's like, you know, people say, oh, why do you waste time talking to religious people? It's a waste of time. Raise your hand if you used to be religious. Raise your hand if somebody else had any impact and you finding your way out of it. I think we were worth talking to, and Absolutely. I completely agree with him. Absolutely. So the, the pursuit of truth and specificity, I guess, is really what drives you. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, I, I'm an atheist because I'm a skeptic. I've mm -hmm. been a skeptic for ages. I just hadn't applied it to my religion because my, you know, religions have built-in protective mechanisms. Mm -hmm. Everybody around you believes you're constantly going for reinforcement at the Sunday services or Saturday services or whenever you happen to go to church uh, or synagogue or you know, your mosque or whatever, you're in this state where you're not challenged. And recognizing that I, there were a number of things that I no longer believed because I had evaluated with skepticism, with critical thinking and examination of the evidence, when I finally turned that kind of critical examination to my own religious beliefs, with the goal of proving them right, with the goal of being able to convince an atheist... Mm -hmm. You know, my roommate at the time was an atheist, and I said, you know, I don't want to get to heaven and have God say, okay, yeah, you know what, you, you went your own way for a few years, and then you became a preacher, and you did pretty good. But here's this guy who you lived with for a decade, who you love like a brother, and he's in hell because you didn't share. So how do I convince an atheist? And the process of trying to figure out a way to convince him uh, actually exposed all the flaws in my thinking. The God I believed in was real, was obvious. The people who call into the show now and say things like, oh, look at the trees. How can you look around at the mm -hmm. world? Not, I used to think like that. And it's because I have some credibility in the sense that I was involved as a sincere believer, um, was studying to be a preacher, ha had some of the same views. I mean, th th there's no yeah. uh, homogeneous Christianity. Everybody, there's probably as many different versions of Christianity or any other religion as there are adherents. You know? Oh, yeah, for sure. The First Baptist Church of, Harvard, of, of whatever city you're in can tell you why the Second Baptist Church is wrong. Mm -hmm. And then if you just stick with the First Baptist Church and you start going pew by pew, they can tell you why the people in the other pews are wrong. <laughs> yeah. That's the big secret, too, is that atheists haven't had to do any actual work. All the work was mostly done for it. Now, there are atheists who've done a lot of work. But if you want to know what's wrong with Christianity, you ask a Jew. You want to know what's wrong with Judaism, you ask a Muslim. Etc. Yeah. Keeps going. They, they, they've done all the homework for us, exposing most of the flaws, except for the foundational flaws. The oh, we're going to use the Kalam cosmological argument. Mm -hmm. Why would you? Why would you use that as a defense of Christianity? What can it, when it can also be used as a defense of Islam or any other thing? You know. Yeah, yeah. I totally get it. I came out of uh, Roman Catholicism myself, mm -hmm. and uh, for, for me, it was uh, it was mythology. It was you know the the, the Superman. Uh, it was like. The myth and legend that was so attractive to me as a child, but you know, you were you were. Um, would you prefer people know you as a great skeptic instead of a uh, skilled atheist? You know, like, like, I don't know. Let's say like hundred years into the future, when they look back at who was Matt Dillahunty. Oh my gosh, I, I don't even. I don't think in in terms of like legacy. The, I will say that skepticism is far more important to me than my atheism. If it turns out that a a skeptical view of the facts determined that there was a God, well, then I'm going to stop being an atheist. Uh, I'm not going to stop being a skeptic until somebody demonstrates that there is a, a better way of discerning the, which things are most likely true about reality than a critical examination of evidence. Mm -hmm. The one that I'm, prob that, I, that I'm probably least likely to change my mind on of all three is humanism. You know, this this idea that human beings have value, that we're going to have to solve problems, that we don't live in isolation, that my beliefs inform my actions, my actions have consequences for myself and other people. And I've said before, if it turns out there's a God and he's not a humanist, you know, to hell with him. I don't, I don't see any reason why I care what his views are. Mm -hmm. You're not going to say, my bad, praise the Lord? Uh, no. <laughs> so, one of the questions I'm often asked is, you know, what, what first of all, was, what would change your mind? Yes. And I have a different answer to that than a lot of other people because I, I used to give the glib answers, you know, oh, riding in the sky or this or mm -hmm. whatever. Um, and as we saw on stage last night, I, I answer it with, I don't know. And, and that's not my fault. It, it would be arrogant of me to presume that I could tell the difference between a god and some advanced technology. It's an honest answer. So, but if there is a god, if it's deserving of the label that we tend to apply to god, 
that being should know exactly what it would take to convince me and should be able to do it. And the mm. fact that it hasn't happened means that that God either doesn't exist or doesn't want me to know he exists yet. The, the, the other question is, ah, well, what, what if you, when you die, you find yourself face-to-face with God? And the first words out of my mouth when somebody says that are always, which God? I mean, now, if we're going to go and presume that I'm standing before some version of the Christian God or the Jewish God or the Muslim God, the God of Abraham, um, then I'm going to... You couldn't... This idea that you could fool a God is bizarre. So why would I do anything other than being honest? While Christians all over the planet may doubt my sincerity in my pursuit of God, mm-hmm. I am confident that I pursued it as diligently as possible and got no reply. So if I find myself standing before that same God or any God that, you know, that decided not to reveal himself to me through all this, then he's already going to know, you know yeah. to the extent that I tried. And he's going to know that I'm honest or she's going to know that I'm honest. And then it turns down, turns it comes down to the character of that God. Is, is this the kind of God that's going to punish someone for being uh, honest and pursuing something and failing to find it plausible, mm-hmm. or is this a God that's going to punish someone for not being gullible? Uh, and that's I have no other option but to look at it that way. Yeah, is the choice between you know because. If the God I believed in when I was a Christian was real, obvious, boom, of course this is true. Anybody can see this. Anybody can demonstrate it. And yet when we look at all the arguments, they're, they're flawed or they don't actually support the conclusion that people have drawn from them. It's, mm-hmm. it's a mess. And so what God do they believe in and why do you have to become an expert in dead languages and study logical yes. fallacies? Yes. And, I mean, if I was God, and actually the book that I'm working on is called If I Were God, mm-hmm. and it goes through a lot of the questions. Why would I create anything in the first place? Why would I do it this way? How would I communicate with people? You know, well, why yeah. the hide-and-seek? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The world's longest game of hide-and-seek. <laughs> I think he's only matched by the Sasquatch. Would you consider yourself a firebrand or a diplomat? Both, depending on the situation. Um, and, uh, you know, I... I know people who definitely fit into the diplomat mm-hmm. category, and I know people who definitely fit into the firebrand And I can do either, um, depending. And I don't always get it right as to which one may be appropriate, but, you know, that's after 10 years of doing the TV show, uh, some people will write in and say, oh, you've, you've kind of mellowed a bit over the 10 years. Well, really? I can still pop out a rant. It's just that now I'm a little more measured, I think, in, in trying to make sure that I'm... Uh, Using it when it's appropriate, mm-hmm. you know. There, I think there's a time and a place for profanity and and righteous anger and indignation and and the people who are just kind of well, you know, we just we just disagree. Thanks for calling. I, it annoys me. So I lean probably more on the firebrand side in dealing with theists and more on the diplomat side when dealing with atheists because the the various problems that plague our communities. You know, we're not we're not a hive mind. No, we don't agree on everything. And so I find myself on occasions um, kind of running interference or running back and forth between two camps on an issue, uh, you know, trying to make the peace. Okay. You're on the front line of the fight, if to use a bad analogy here in Texas. When you look at the future, are you positive? Oh, I'm incredibly optimistic about the future. I I think all of the, the evidence points that we're either clearly winning or at least no longer continuing to lose. Um, A lot of what we're seeing is, so when I travel the world and people talk about what they see about the United States from the news, their perception is not at all like mine because the news is going to sensationalize things. Uh, it's, It's a bit of a problem, but I think... I'd recommend everybody read Steven Pinker's book, uh, Better Angels of Our Nature, to show that the world is, in fact, a better place and, mm-hmm. and by all measures improving, or nearly all measures improving. Uh, we, you know, the, this fascination with the good old days yes. uh, is a mistake. But when I look at this, the people who are unaffiliated with religions on the rise, Christianity generally on the decline. In some areas, it's on the rise. In some areas, Mormonism is on the rise. In some areas, Islam is on the rise. Uh, but I think I'm, I'm incredibly optimistic that uh, reason and evidence will eventually win out, that the history of religions is that they have faded away into not, not necessarily non-existence but obscurity, that the religions of today, uh, unless they provide 
incredible evidence that they haven't so far, or if they include ideas that are so vague as to be unfalsifiable and still provide uh, a warm fuzzy to the believers, they will all go the way of you know the Greek gods and the Roman gods. I don't know when it's going to happen, and I don't think religion will go away entirely because, from my point of view, this is about mistakes in thinking. You know, we are we are frustrated with not knowing. We are frustrated with the possibility of our death and coming to grips with that. And this is us, so far as I can tell, trying to come up with answers and explanations that feel like we've answered things. You know, because. Oh, I don't know what the answer is. I was at a Church of Christ in San Antonio, and I kept, when they'd ask me questions, and I'd say, I don't know, I don't know. And they got so pissed, they were like, we keep asking, we asked Matt here, and, you know, he's the atheist, and we keep asking him what, you know, this question, that question, he just keeps saying, I don't know. Well, ask me something I I do know. You know, by the way, um, I don't think you know either, and you haven't demonstrated that you know. And the main preacher came up to me, and he's like, but are you comfortable going to your grave, you know? Not knowing these, no, I'm not. That's why we, uh, that's why we go out and try to find the answers. I'm just less comfortable with accepting whatever answer somebody gives me with no supporting evidence. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Man, both our countries are very similar, um, but also very different in some aspects. Uh, the United States have always been a huge influence on Canada. My father used to tell me as a kid, you know, when the United States sneezes, Canada gets a cold. And there's one thing that seems to lately is exporting out of the states into Canada is that creationism movement. Mm-hmm. Now, Canada is much more secular than the states. Mm-hmm. There's no doubt about that. But I'm seeing this come across. Uh, and it's one of the reasons why we do a podcast and stuff like that, uh, especially in places where we... Uh, Abbotsford, for example, is known as the Bible Belt in Canada. There's more churches per capita in Abbotsford than the rest of the country. But it's nowhere near what you guys are facing down there. Yet... Um, most atheists up here are what I call apatheists. Mm-hmm. Not much going on. But you guys down there at the ACA, you've got such dedication from your members, it seems. Um, when most free thinkers up here seem to, eh. So what would you tell people up here? You know, people like me are seeing this come across. I mean, you have politicians now starting to mimic the American presence, the prime minister saying, God bless Canada. Usually the reporters laugh. That kind of shuts them up for a while. But they're trying to sneak that kind of stuff in. And we see that coming across. But, like I said, most uh, atheists will be not making a fuss about it. What would you tell them? Yeah, so this has come up a lot, actually. We did the Unholy Trinity Tour in Australia, which mm-hmm. is a far more secular country than my own. Uh, but And a lot of people there were kind of apathetic. And they were far more focused on skepticism and skeptic issues than... And not that religion isn't. I think religion's yeah. the biggest elephant in the room with regard to you know skepticism or what we could potentially be skeptical of with regard to harm done and everything else. And it came up in England as well. Um, and in in both cases, they're seeing a little bit of a rise of fundamentalism and creationism. In some cases, um, uh, Islamic mm-hmm. immigrants are coming in, you know, trying to establish Sharia law and things like that. I. In the United States, at the end of the 19th century, you had Colonel Robert Green Ingersoll, who was known as the great agnostic. He gave great speeches against the Bible and religion. He debated ministers in the newspaper. He uh, actually spoke or headed up, the, uh, in some context, the Republican National Convention. That's when, that's when the Republican Party wasn't what it is today in the United States. Yeah. But we had all this going, and I think what happened, and this is little speculative on my part. I think that there was a group of intellectual elite who said, ah, you know, Darwin has solved this issue of the diversity of life on the planet. And and of course, we've discovered that all of these modern religions are the same myths and fables respun. And aren't we so wonderful, you know, now that we've sorted this out, um, the world will soon turn away from these things. And then they said, you know, had this idea, I don't know if they said it out loud, let the little people keep their religion. It will go away eventually. We will change the world around them. And then discussions of religion became taboo. You know, oh, this is not polite dinner table conversation, in part because they would spawn arguments. And who wants to have that while you're eating? Yes. 
And what happened was, um, you know, in the 1950s, there was this massive backlash to the godless communists. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, our national motto changed from e pluribus unum to uh, one, nation under, one nation under God, in God we trust. Um, in God we trust was put on all of our money. And uh, it was on some money before, but it became the national motto, which was then put on all the money. Uh, one nation under God was the change to the pledge. And actually, some friends of mine uh, said their son says one nation under Canada. Because, you know, <laughs> that was actually funnier. So I, I, I told the people in Australia that, yeah, apathy is going to be a big issue. And that's why we need people out there constantly speaking. In the United States, when there was a, uh, a Supreme Court ruling on Ten Commandments monuments, Justice Breyer essentially invented a grandfather clause. He said, you know, this monument's been here for 50 years and nobody complained, so it's probably not that big a deal. We'll just let it stay. It's part of this larger secular thing because there's a lot of other things that aren't religious on the Capitol grounds. Well, if you go down and look at it, it's not part of a larger secular thing. It's a monument that's out there by itself. It only becomes part of a larger secular thing when you look at the entire acreage for the Capitol and all the other things that are on other sides of the building. But this grandfather clause basically told people, ah, nobody complained. And that sets a dangerous precedent. And what it did was it told us all, what you need to do is complain. You need to complain as soon as it happens and often mm -hmm. so that nobody can ever say, well, you know, we'll go back to this case and it's been sitting there. And it's dangerous to presume that you've won and you don't have to do any more work you might wake up and find that the country you thought you were living in has changed dramatically into yes. something you don't recognize. Yes, yes, yes. Um, and it's, you know, it's death by a thousand paper cuts. You know, oh, well, we'll allow this. And I'm not saying that there's no room for flexibility or compromise. By all means. Mm -hmm. And I am a huge fan of freedom of speech and freedom of religion. I think it, it's absurd to try to dictate what people can believe or should believe. Um, it's what you start by, you know, with a matter of legislation, you, you work on what they can do on behalf of those actions. But it's up to the public to talk about, you know, the epistemic foundations of religions to say, hey, you know, I don't believe this and here's why. Do you have good reasons? Do you, have, you mean better education about critical thinking? But as soon as you get, you know, oh, well, you know, it, it's not that big a deal. It's going to go away. It doesn't take long before those things start adding up. And it may be the case that we're, the United States is changing and, like, there are people fleeing uh, and infecting other countries with these ideas. Although, you know, we've got Ken Ham and Ray Comfort, who, yeah. who I <laughs> pointed out while we were down in Australia and New Zealand that uh, we owed them a debt of gratitude for sending their religious friends up there for that. Well, thank you, Matt. I appreciate sure. your time. And uh, That's it. That's it. Awesome. Well, be sure you... <laughs> nice and uh, short. No need, no need to edit out the interruptions. Then. No, no, of course. Awards and all. Everything live. <laughs> thanks for having me. I've been having a great time in Canada. It's been three years since I was up here for Kamloops at mm -hmm. INR2. And uh, this one's been easily as good. And actually, the, the speaker list is actually kind of intimidating because yes. you've got you know, Dawkins and Krauss and Peter Bogosian, Krista Carlo, Mariam Lamazzi, Vicky Garrison. Right? Yeah, I don't know what they're going to do next year, but we'll see. Awesome. Thank you, Matt. And that was Matt Dillahunty. Good. We get the best people on this show. I know. Uh, just, I know. Yeah, no, that's great. We get people exposed to the, 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 the best contemporary um, atheists and, and humanists around. You get so many different points of view, and it just, uh, well, it, it's great that, that they're willing to come on and, and share oh, totally. all of their uh, information and opinions with us. Good job, Kevin. Absolutely. And uh, like I said, Matt, Matt was, uh, he was a bit of a puzzle for me because I, I told the story before, but I'm going to tell it again. Uh, when I was in Imaginal Religion 5, and I kind of tracked him down and I gave him a bottle of Crown Royal, kind of what I did with Lawrence Krauss, the same thing, and he seemed happy with that. And although he's more of a tequila guy himself, he says. Uh, but I couldn't find any good Canadian tequila. <laughs> but Matt seemed uncomfortable. Uh, he wasn't very talkative. He seemed, you know, he didn't seem comfortable at all. And he, he, he seemed like he was trying to avoid people and stuff like that. He seemed like he was staying by himself in a corner almost. But when I managed to grab him and uh, we went to this little secluded room to actually have some peace and quiet and try to record the, the interview, bam, he just switched into... The Matt Dillahunty we all know and love uh, from the TV show. And 
we were kind of interrupted. That's why the interview was only 20 minutes. We were kind of interrupted by people moving in with some equipment and stuff. Uh, so we had to cut it short. But uh, otherwise, he probably would have went on for another hour or so. So, so did he tell you why he was so quiet? Uh, no, no, he did not. But uh, I suspect that Matt was always, uh, if you if you listen to some of his past shows and all that, every one of them. Well, then you you probably noticed that he said he was very shy of public speaking. He he was uh, very afraid of public speaking at first, right? Uh, uh, even before he was an atheist. Mm-hmm. So I think I think that I think this is only my opinion. It's only worth that much. But I think yeah, I think he's just uncomfortable with crowds. And I think at that time too, he had been traveling like all over. He's a pretty busy guy. Oh yeah, oh yeah, totally. And he's making a living at it full yeah, time now. And totally. so some of the other guys like Onro and Seth Andrews and kudos for them to being able to do that and uh, good for them for being popular enough to do so. And uh, I'm not, so I'm going to keep doing this. <laughs> Go back well, to work Monday. I mean, these guys keep killer schedules, and after a while, it can throw. You've got an off day. You just don't feel peppy. You don't feel. But the professional that he is, he switched so that he gave you a hundred percent when uh, when he, he needed to do that, and that's that's really the mark of somebody that's giving his all. Yeah, and to, like, like I called him in an interview, he probably is. Probably the most uh, skilled debaters, uh, side since Hitchens anyway, that I've seen. Uh, when you see some of his debates, he's really, really on the ball. He and, is uber logical. Oh yes, and he starts going into philosophy, which you know you lose me when you go into philosophy. It's like yeah, I start you know phasing out because philosophy is something else. But he's completely there, and he just analyzes and breaks down everything. So, kudos for the gentleman. Uh, I'm gonna try one more thing here. Well, I guess this is. I guess we'll have to close the show. We can't get a hold of one. I guess we'll bring on for the next show. Uh, coming up for you guys, um, you might want to know that uh, we still are scheduled to do the Sasquatch Hunter. But, you know, I want to keep him for when we actually go on at CIVL. And we're so close to going there. And I want to start that CIVL at the university with a bang. And I thought a Sasquatch Hunter would be great for that. I have a friend named Connie, and she uh, works with uh, Alzheimer's uh, uh, disease in patients. So we're going to so have a look at Alzheimer's and uh, try to break down what it is, what it isn't. We also have uh, another friend of mine named Ken. Uh, he will have a, we'll take a look at uh, the gun issue. Um, Ken works with uh, firearms and uh, as a dealership and a distributor and all that. So he knows exactly the ins and outs on the American side and the Canadian side as well. You can always uh, keep an eye on us on, uh, where am I going here? Yes, leftofvalley.com. Speaking of Alzheimer's. <laughs> Speaking of that's Alzheimer's. A, that's a good good variety to, to look forward to. Yeah. Uh, See, you never got to tune in every week. You just never know who's going who's gonna to be here to amaze and delight and inform. Right? <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Other than us, of I'm course. Trying my best anyway. <laughs> Leftatvalley.com. You can follow us on Facebook. You can go to Block Talk Radio. If you sign up, they will send you an email every time the show is about to go. And uh, I think we're also going to try to put it on other stations. You can follow us also on iTunes. Download us on iTunes. You can send us an email. Let us know what you guys think. If you think we were great or we suck. Guys, thank you so much for being here. Thanks, hey, Kevin. Thanks, Until Kevin. next time. Glory.